Go great. We're still in this series where we're unpacking the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We, we're talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a disciple maker. And, and the question that I hope you ask yourself is, am I a disciple? Am I a follower of Jesus? Am I following Jesus well? In fact, I want to challenge you and I want to ask you, are you a disciple maker? Because the call to be disciples is a call to be disciple makers. That's what we get from the Great Commission. We said last week that, that a disciple is someone who is learning to be like Jesus and someone who is learning to do like Jesus would do. So it's about being like Jesus and it's about doing like Jesus. It's about uh, both the, the inward person and the outward expression. It, it's about character and about competency. It, it's about faithfulness and about fruitfulness. And so uh, as we look at that, we, we are reminded that if we're going to be like Jesus and if we're going to do the things that Jesus would do, we need to be with Jesus. We need to spend time with him. We, we need to receive from him direction and power. Uh, we, we need to be in his presence as we've been singing today. We need to follow his example. And we've talked about these three dimensions of the life of Jesus that we want to imitate. We said that Jesus had an up dimension. He spent time with the heavenly father. He, he depended on him. He was in prayer often. He had an in dimension. He poured into the life of an inner circle and he trained them and he uh, made them his friends because they were important for his ministry. And then he had an out dimension. This was the place where he touched the broken world, where, where he healed the hurting, where he fed the hungry, where he reached out to those who were outside the fold. He had up dimension, he had an in dimension, he had an out dimension, and he kept all those in a good balance in his life. And so as we try to follow him, we wanna have the same thing. We want to have an up dimension that is, that is vital. We want to have an in dimension that, that uh, strengthens us and encourages us. We want to have an out dimension that is obedient to the Great Commission. In this series, we're saying it's great communion, it's great community, and it's the Great Commission that we're wanting to live out. And so we're focusing for a couple of Sundays on the Great Communion aspect, the, the up dimension of our walk with Christ. How, how is that? in your life? How is your up dimension? How is your communion with the Father? We come to a warning that Jesus gives his disciples and thus he gives us because we are also his disciples in Matthew 26, 41. That's our text for this morning. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. The Bible says, this is, these are words from Jesus' lips. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Last Sunday, we looked at a teaching of Jesus at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 6, where Jesus talks to us about the, the father's heart for private prayer. He, he invites us, he says, you know, when you pray, you ought to go into your room, into your prayer closet, and close the door. And there in private, in the secret place, meet the Father. The Father who is unseen will meet you there, and, and then he will reward you. And so we talked about the importance of private 
prayer, of, of that quiet time, of, of setting aside time where you're alone with God and how important that is for the rest of your walk with him. But here at the end of the gospel, Jesus is calling his disciples not to pray alone in, in, in the prayer closet, as important as that is, but he's calling them to pray together. He is calling them to come at a critical time in his ministry. Jesus has arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane late at night. He has just had the last Passover meal of his life with his disciples. And he understands how important this is. The reason he's just had the last Passover meal is because on the following day, the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world would be offered in sacrifice. And he's there, aware of the moment. And he needs his huddle. He needs his close friends. He needs those three guys, Peter, James, and John, to stay with him and to pray with him at this very moment. He admonishes them to watch and pray so that they will not fall into temptation. And then he tells them the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. What does that mean? What does it mean to watch and pray? What does it mean that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Well, Jesus is telling them to, to be alert. Literally, and in the most immediate sense, what Jesus is saying here is stay awake. Because there was this big meal they have had. They just ate the, the Passover meal. So their, their stomachs were full. They, they, were, they had a long day that demands emotionally and physically on their lives would cause them to be tired. And when they would get to the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a great place to just relax and, and just uh, rest. But Jesus says, no, not now. Right now, you need to stay awake. You need to watch and pray. Your prayer right now is more important than your sleep. But there's something beyond the, the physical aspect here. There's a spiritual lesson here. It, it is a reminder that we ought not to be spiritually lethargic. That we are called to be spiritually alert. As disciples of Jesus, you and I are called to seek God attentively, to, to be wide awake in his presence, to be spiritually alert. We are called to watch and pray. And, and, and I ask you today, are you spiritually awake? Are you, are you alert to what is going on around you? Do you know what the Spirit of God is doing around you? Do you know what God is up to and what he wants to do? Or, or are you asleep spiritually and completely unaware of what God is trying to do? The call today is to seek God attentively because, number one, the struggle is real. We need to be spiritually alert because the struggle is real. How many of you know that? How many of you know that the struggle is real? All right, three of you struggled. That's great. The rest of you have it all together. I need to learn more from you. We, we need to be spiritually awake so that we won't get caught off guard. We need to be aware of the challenge and the urgency of the moment. This was no ordinary time in the life and ministry of Jesus. This call to prayer by Jesus is not like, hey, don't forget to say your bedtime prayers. That's not what he's doing here. He's 
undergoing a tremendous struggle. It was the night before his death in his mind was the torture that he would undergo the next day, the physical pain and the spiritual burden of people's sins on his back. He is thinking about what is coming in a matter of hours. The moment has arrived and there's a sense of urgency and a degree of seriousness to this moment. Look at verse 36 of the same chapter, Matthew 26. I'll read from there and you can sense the urgency. You can sense how serious this moment is. Verse 36 is then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. There is a sense of incredible struggle in the life of Jesus here. He says he's sorrowful and troubled. In his own words, he tells his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Can you imagine that? This is the son of God. This is the Messiah. And he is in a moment where his sorrow has overtaken him. It's tearing him apart. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a point in your life where your sadness is great, where the trauma is so great that it is overwhelming? You can't get past it. Jesus is undergoing a real struggle. This is not a charade. He's not pretending. This is real. It was at this moment, more than ever, that he needed his closest friends to support him in prayer. He really needed Peter and James and John to be there at this moment. We need people in our lives. When we're going through hard times, when we're in the struggle, we're in the midst of the battle, we need people in our lives who, who will stick with us and say, I'm right here, I'm praying for you. That's what Jesus wanted. We're in a critical moment today. We, we have an urgent need to be united in prayer at various levels, the global level, the national level, the the city level, our church, on every front, we are called to be united in prayer. The headlines are overwhelming sometimes of what's going on in our country and in our world. One of the things that recent, I think last week it was, that pro-life people, people who value life, declared a day of mourning uh, for the, the recent legislation that was passed in the state of New York. While, while legislators in New York celebrated that they have extended the time at which they can take the life of a baby in the womb, even to the point after birth. And they turn on pink lights all around the city to celebrate their new law. It reminds us that we need to fall on our knees and pray for God's mercy on our country, that we're in trouble. The Houston Chronicle a couple of weeks ago published a heartbreaking article about a period of time in which Southern Baptist churches, leaders and members of the church abused their position 
and took advantage and, and there were victims of abuse. It is sickening to read how people could have done those kinds of things. And it breaks our heart. It reminds us that we live in a sinful world and that we need God's power and God's victory and God's grace. It ought to call us to our knees. Recently, an Alabama newspaper editor the other day called for the KKK to write again. It's 2019, and racism is still alive and well in our country. It seems to have revival in some places. You know the reason that, that we believe in the sanctity of human life. You know the reason that, that we think we should protect babies in the womb is because we believe that every human being is made in the image of God. And we believe that life is sacred from conception to the point where God calls that person home. We believe that life is sacred from the womb to the tomb. And that means we protect the vulnerable baby in the womb. And it means we value the life of those that are already born. That whatever the color of their skin is, they're made in the image of God. That to hate and to discriminate is to sin against them and against God because they're made in his image. There are other signs that the moral fiber of our culture in our day is wearing away. The distance between morality of the scriptures and the morality of our culture seems to be getting wider and wider. Can we just agree that we live in a critical time? Can we just agree that this is a time for us to be seeking God's face in prayer, to get on our knees? Here at Calvary, we're in the middle of a student center project and we recognize that, that this is bigger than us, that we need God's wisdom and that we need God's resources to get it done. That we need to come together and, and seek God's help and, and God's wisdom and God's will in that. That we need to be careful to, to stay united and not let things like that become divisive for us. We're moving forward with our 2020 vision of multiplying disciples and, and we're seeing house groups begin that may become house churches. We're seeing huddles grow. We're, we're seeing disciples being multiplied. We see men who are challenging other men to live holy lives, godly lives for Jesus. We see women who are encouraging women in the task of, of disciple making. We see marriages that are being restored. We see marriages that are being reconciled. And we see an enemy who is angry. When the church moves forward, Satan's not happy. When the church's not doing anything significant, the devil leaves us alone. But when the church is doing something that matters in the kingdom, when the church is moving ahead in the Great Commission, the enemy will go around trying to discourage, to distract, to divide. And it is then that we need prayer. We need to come together. There are hundreds of thousands of people in the valley who are lost. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the hope. They don't know that God is awesome. They don't know that he's provider, that he's protector, that he's our peace and he's our joy. They live their lives in hopelessness. And the devil would rather us turn us against each other than to pay attention to the people who are out there in need of Jesus and in need of his love. And is it the time that we need to fall on our knees and pray? I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what, what you're facing today, but I, I want to let you know that, that we understand that we live in a broken world 
and that you go through brokenness often. Some of you are undergoing trauma. Some of you are undergoing pain. And we understand. And it is at that time, it is at that critical time that Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the second thing that I want to talk to you about is the spirit is willing. See, our spirit wants to do the right thing. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that means that that the spirit of God has come to live inside of you. And the spirit of God that lives inside of you is wanting to do the right thing. That's why why when God calls you to do something, you say yes. You you remember those times when you feel compelled to, to do the right thing? To follow Jesus, to obey him in everything that he commands. You said, of course, I want to be a part of that. That's the spirit. The spirit in you is willing. Jesus had the resolve to do the Father's will. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen the spirit within him. We sang that, right? In your presence we find strength. Well, Jesus found strength in the Father's presence. And and, and he synced his spirit with the Father's spirit. Jesus knew that the events of the following day would be hard on his friends. You know, Peter, James, and John had left everything to follow Jesus. They left their nets, their boats, and they went with Jesus, and they gave him everything. They they loved him. He'd become their master, their teacher, their friend, their savior, their Lord. And the things that would happen the next day would shatter their world. They never would have imagined in their wildest dreams that their beloved teacher, that the rabbi, that the savior that they were following would be tortured the way that he would be. And Jesus didn't want them to get caught off guard. He wanted them to be spiritually prepared. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You need to strengthen the spirit within you. When the enemy attacks us, we we, we are tempted to do the wrong thing. When, When... when things get tough, when things get difficult, we, we want to give up and we need spiritual strength. The spirit is willing, but we need to strengthen the spirit. Notice that when Jesus goes to pray a second time on this occasion, he, notice his resolve to do the Father's will becomes even stronger. Verse 42, he says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. You know, the first time he prayed, we read that a moment ago, there was this struggle. He wanted to do the Father's will, but as he continues to be in prayer, as the Spirit is willing and he strengthens the Spirit, his resolve to do the Father's will gets stronger. At the critical time of his life and ministry, he, he strengthened his Spirit within, through focused prayer. And then after the third time that he prays, He's ready. If you, if you read the, re- the rest of the story, you know that after the third time that Jesus prays, he says, okay, let's go. Let's do this. Where's Judas? He's ready. We strengthen the spirit so that we can be ready. We've been asking some of you how you strengthen your spirit in your time alone with God, and I want you to hear from two more guys today. Watch this. My name is David Courtney. I was saved about three years ago. So it took me 50 years to find Christ. Um, I was actually baptized in the Wilkinson's pool. Uh, I've been coming to Calvary about three years. Hi, my name is Eddie Gonzalez. Uh, 
I've been coming about, uh, actually I was, I was saved uh, November 1991, and uh, I was saved in my apartment actually, all by myself, uh, in my, on my apartment floor. Just knew I needed God, so I fell on my knees that night and uh, accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. Uh, been coming to Calvary since 1998. Got baptized and going back here, I got baptized in uh, 1991, right after I got saved. Uh, when I found a pastor, I told him what happened. So I got baptized probably in December of 91, but been at Calvary since 1998. I travel to Mexico every day. It was a great joy working in Mexico, so crossing that border. I'm long listening to Christian music. So I listen to Christian music probably uh, about an hour and a half a day. Uh, but I also have an app on my phone which pings me at eight o'clock. So I then get to look at some scripture for about half an hour as well. So that's how I give my um, relationship with God and spend my time with Him. My quiet time personally is, uh, my favorite time is in the morning. Uh, a few times a week, I'm usually up sometimes 4.45 in the morning, a few times a week, and then 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. So my favorite time, quiet time is early in the morning. And uh, at my best, when I'm doing my best quiet time, uh, I love being outside, just looking into the sky before I even get started, talking to God. Uh, I read my scriptures in the morning. Now this isn't every day, but this is this is the best time when I'm doing it. Uh, the other part of my, my quiet time is just waking up, and as soon as I wake up, to me it just seems like I'm already thanking God for the day, because I know He's just giving me every breath I take. Uh, the mornings, once again, are my best time, but when I go to bed at night, I find myself talking to God again, just recapping my day. Uh, that, music throughout the day is, is in my mind. Uh, that's kind of my quiet time, basically. Um, basically, I find I pray to him, especially because I need a lot of help. And uh, it, it relaxes me more than anything else. I get a calmness uh, so I can get about sort of what I need to do. And the world doesn't seem quite such a, um, a, a bad place anymore. Well, me being a school counselor, uh, the quiet time for me is huge. I work on a campus that's about 800, cam 800 students, which means about 1,600 families and about 80 staff members. I'm a school counselor there. So the quiet time for me is huge because when I'm on campus, I've got that really tough child, or whoever the situation may be, the quiet time for me is I am able to hear God telling me, kind of guiding me in, on how to approach things and what to do. So. When I, if I ever miss a quiet time, it just the day doesn't quite go the same. But when I am having a effective quiet times in my life, I just feel like I'm just being led by the Spirit, and it's just a huge difference for me because it's just He's my guide basically throughout the whole day. It makes it completely changes my whole day. These are guys who are in the midst of struggles every day, who face temptation every day, but the Spirit is willing, and they strengthen the Spirit by spending time in prayer with the Lord. Focused prayer is like, is like building a spiritual muscle. You see, there's a spirit of God that lives inside of you, but, but the other part inside of you is the sinful nature, and they fight. And whoever is stronger is going to win. And, and it is in that focused prayer type that the spirit becomes stronger so that you can have victory in your life. You know, if you want to run a marathon, you, you have to train. And, and you have to take time to, to train for the marathon. It's a gradual process of, of building muscle and building endurance. And, and if you want to have victory in your life, you, you need to train yourself. You need to train your spirit to be ready. Paul tells Timothy that he must train the spirit within him. First Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself 
to be godly. The spirit is willing. So strengthen the spirit. Then thirdly, the self is weak. See, the problem with the spirit within us is our sinful nature. The self is self-centered. It wants to do its own thing. It wants to get its way. It is proud and controlling. And, 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 and it's too weak to win spiritual battles. Notice the contrast between Jesus and his disciples here at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is able to stay in prayer and he comes out stronger. But the disciples fall asleep every time. Three times Jesus tells them, stay awake and pray and they fall right back asleep. The spirit was willing but the flesh was weak. The sinful nature. The next day Jesus faced injustice he faced torture and crucifixion. He died the cruelest death that anyone could ever die. And he bore the greatest burden that anyone has ever borne. The sins of the entire world, of all humanity, of all times, he carried them on himself. But he didn't flake. He didn't give up. He went through it with courage and strength because the Father had strengthened him to fulfill his mission. Not so for the disciples. Peter would deny Jesus three times, ironically. And he, the, the reds would run away and they would end up sad and confused and broken. They lost an important spiritual battle, but I don't think they would forget this because if you follow their lives in the book of Acts, you know they learned this lesson. You know they remembered, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They become people of prayer by the time they get to the book of Acts. The self is too weak to do God's will, but it is strong enough to trip us up. The sinful nature is not able to produce holiness in us, but it's able to overcome the spirit if we let it. That's why prayer and fasting periodically in a focused way is important. When we prioritize the spiritual over the physical, we are strengthening the spirit and submitting the self to the spirit. There are some religious traditions that uh, observe Lent, 40 days, and they, uh, they fast in some kind of way. They give up something for Lent. Some do it, some don't. And, and many that do it don't really understand uh, what it means to fast. And those of us that grew up in an evangelical uh, tradition or free church tradition. Sometimes we, we're critical of, of, of the Lent fast. And the reason we're critical of it is because we think if people are trying to give up something because they think that they can add something to their salvation, then they don't understand that what Jesus did on the cross is complete and full, that it is sufficient to forgive all our sins, that we don't need to help Jesus save us. So if that's the reason that people do it, then, then it's not a good reason. If people, if people give up something for Lent so that maybe they could earn God's favor, then they don't understand grace. They don't understand that, that, that it's not something we earn, but it is something that God gives us. However, however, if you give up something for 40 days because you want to increase your spiritual appetite, then you might be onto something. 
If you decide that, that for 40 days you're going to deprive yourself of something so that you can strengthen the spirit and you can make sure that the self is subdued, then, then you're on a good track. Whether you give up a meal or a favorite beverage or maybe an hour of sleep or an evening drink or some screen time on your tablet or phone or some kind of TV show, if you give up your hobby or your shopping for about 40 days, it creates space in your life for a closer connection with the Father. You see, our lives are so cluttered with stuff and busyness that there's little room for the Spirit to be at work. And sometimes we need to unclutter a little bit. It's kind of like your garage. It just gets full of stuff. And once in a while, you just need to stop and take a few things out to create a little bit of space. And in your life, there may be something that you need to just put on pause. It's not a bad thing. It's just a, a way of saying, you know what? I don't want my body to be controlled by my impulses. I want my body to be controlled by God. I don't want my body to think that the body is Lord of me. I want my body to know that it is a servant of God. And I train it. That's what Jesus did when he started his ministry. You remember that? Before Jesus went into his ministry, he went into the wilderness and he spent 40 days in prayer and he fasted. He didn't eat food for 40 days so that he could fill himself with spiritual food. At the end of the 40 days, Luke 4 tells us that Jesus' stomach was hungry for bread, but that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens when, when we focus time and we set a time, a period where we're seeking his face. Here at the end of his ministry, Jesus goes to the garden to pray and he asks his disciples to give up their much needed little nap. You, you, you want a nap, but I'm asking you to give up your nap right now because the spiritual aspect is more important. But the disciples were too weak. The spirit within them was willing, but the flesh was weak. They listened to the voice that said, first you gotta take care of yourself. You have needs too. They couldn't give up one hour, one hour to be with their master, one hour to pray with their rabbi, one hour to stand with him in the most difficult moment of his ministry. They couldn't give it up because their flesh was weak. Prayer accompanied by some kind of fasting, some kind of giving up reminds us that, that our inner being, we want God to be in control. Nevertheless, this should not be imposed on you. Any, any, any fast in Lent or in any other period, it, it shouldn't be done because somebody else told you to do it. It shouldn't be done because your religion makes you do it. Whatever you do, you should do it out of personal conviction. Whenever you adopt a spiritual discipline in your life, it ought to be for personal conviction. Starting this Wednesday, our church is going to observe 40 days of prayer. And I want to invite you to consider participating, to ask God, am I supposed to be a part of that? And how am I supposed to be a part of it? Perhaps you'll, you'll join us at 6 a.m. as we're praying in the same place or in different places throughout the valley. Or at noon, we're going to pray three times at 6 a.m., at 12 noon, and at 6 p.m. Three times, just like the three times that Jesus asked his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
We're going to open up the parlor at 6 a.m. And I'm going to be here. And if I'm by myself, I'm going to pray. If there's three people, I'm going to pray with them. If there's 12 people, we're going to pray together. But we're going to pray. And wherever you are, you're invited to be a part of what's going on here. The self is weak. But we need to submit the self to the spirit. What we're called is to seek God attentively in such a way that we will win the battle. That's the objective. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Victory can be ours. Jesus experienced victory. He went through a, a horrible ordeal on Friday, but he was victorious in that, and he was victorious from the grave because he had spent time with the Father. And you and I are called to watch and pray so that we'll have victory. If together we pray, if together we fall on our knees, we'll experience victory. Even through the hard times, even through the difficult times, even through the brokenness, we'll know that God is with us and he will see us through. Will you join us? Will you be a part of 40 days of prayer? I have some suggestions for you on the back of your bulletin if you've been following the notes on how you can be a part of that. I invite you to download the app, Seek God for the City, and follow that beginning on Wednesday. I invite you to join me here at 6 a.m. Uh, in prayer. Or if you can't be here, pray where you are at noon and at 6 p.m. Maybe you need to gather other people and say, we're going to pray at work, at a lunch hour, at school. We're going to get together somewhere in a corner of the courtyard, and we're going to pray. Focus prayer. That's what we're being called to do. Will you join us? Will you be a part of that? I'm going to give you a moment to just think about that, to make a commitment. What is God leading you to do in these 40 days of focused prayer? And mark it. Maybe you need to bow your head and just pray and say, God, this is what I feel led to do. Maybe there's something else you need God to trust God with right now. You can do so as you pray, as you trust him. Maybe there's a need in your life. Maybe you're experiencing trauma. There's hurt and there's pain in your life. It's okay. It's okay to be honest. Jesus has gone through it already. He understands. You can be honest with him. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. And he wants to comfort you. Will you trust him right now? Tell him. Tell him. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and this is a good time for you to prepare your heart for that, to confess any sins. Prepare your heart to, to contemplate the significance of the death of Jesus on the cross for your sins. I invite you to build an altar in your heart right now and pray there. Fall on your knees. Seek God's face.
Father, we thank you for Jesus and his example. Thank you for his willingness to, to face the struggle. Thank you for his dependence on the Father. And God, help us to learn from him. Help us to know what it means to watch and pray that we may not fall into temptation. Help us to strengthen the spirit, to submit the self to the spirit. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you didn't back down from offering yourself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. As we come to your table, we pray that that you forgive us our sins. We know we're sinful. That you cleanse us. And that you allow the Spirit of God to be present here as we worship through communion. The Lord's Supper is for believers, is for Christ followers. If you are someone who has decided to follow Jesus, you've made him your Lord and Savior, then we invite you to partake of the elements. The deacons will come now. And as they come, you'll take a piece of bread and you'll take the cup and you'll hold on to it. And then we'll, we'll guide you in taking it together.